Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to the 300 and final episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And now, Eric, the end is near. And so, we face our final curtain. Regrets? We've had a few. But then again too few to mention but more much more than this we did it our way you know uh, i i was never a sinatra guy may may i try something that's a little more my era okay closing time you don't have to go home but you can't stay here closing time every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end whoa did that just blow your mind karen (laughs) <laughs> it is it, it is true though uh, semisonic we're we're onto something semisonic we're Indeed. onto something or semisonic was onto something i'm not sure how to conjugate ah, that right. one but you know, uh, that's one of those things that's a difference between the british and american pronunciation like the british say like with sporting clubs like with liverpool football club it's an r and mm-hmm. and and they they treat it as the plural somehow and i'm sure they would with with the uh, semisonic too but maybe. yeah I may want to rename them the Semisonics just to make it easy, so I don't oh, trip go. over this at all. But uh, that seems yeah. reasonable. Well, it wouldn't be an episode of uh, Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney if we weren't going down a totally pointless side path that oh, so our, our, our listeners probably have no interest in. Right, but mildly interests us, and that really, <laughs> from day one, has been what's important. Yes, that's our calling card. Um, so, as, as I was saying, though, I think uh, Semisonic, we're onto something there with the whole uh, every new beginning, some other beginnings end. There, there never would have been a Showtime boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney if not for the HBO boxing podcast end. And with the end of this one, there is another new beginning. Uh, we announced this last week, but uh, but just to repeat. Uh, the interim champion boxing podcast with Raskin and Mulvaney will debut in January. And uh, you need to go to our sub stack and enter your email address to stay informed. The address once again is boxing with Raskin Mulvaney.substack.com. Totally free to follow along. Uh, some of the podcasts and other content will be free. Some of it will be for paying subscribers only. There's no need to start paying yet. You can wait until we've posted our first pod in January, although several of you have gone ahead and signed up and paid already, and we appreciate that. Uh, The options are $9.95 a month for full access to everything, and then there is a pay-however-much-you-want thing that is basically for if you're a fan who wants to treat this like a GoFundMe, uh, like uh, you know, uh, Mark Cuban, if you're listening, you got billions of dollars lying around and you figure, hey, why don't I pledge a half million to Raskin and Mulvaney to ensure they stay around a while? Well, you have the option to do that. Um, there is also an annual option of ninety nine ninety five. I didn't know how to turn that off. Uh, I don't recommend it because I don't think this is where we'll be podcasting for a full year. But uh, if I am wrong about that, then I guess you saved about 20 bucks overpaying month to month for 12 months. Um, but again, anyway, uh, for now, just uh, subscribe for free. And uh, that way you'll be in the loop when 2024 begins and we're preparing to post our first episode. Um, but one thing we learned already is that when you start a paid subscription, you get to leave a comment as you pay. And we've gotten some wonderful comments already. And I just want to read a couple that stood out. Uh, Jetboy0408 wrote, Raskin and Mulvaney provide the best boxing podcast and have been providing free entertainment for 10 plus years. Spot the lie. You can't. But but just on the free front, uh, it's true. This podcast has been free for a very long time. 
If you're a fan, hopefully you'll see the point in paying for a couple of months. Um, and then this great comment from Ruben. Today I tweeted you both mentioning I was happy there was still another episode of the podcast left. Just listened to the pod and got this great news. I'm happy to subscribe and support with a paid subscription. Keep up the good work, gents. It might sound weird, but I was sad about Showtime leaving the sport, but was even sadder when I realized the pod would go too. Good to know you guys will still be out there. Um, thanks so much for that, Ruben. Uh, it, it's insane to be more sad about us than about Showtime exiting boxing, but uh, but thanks anyway for saying that. <laughs> I don't think it sounds weird at all. No? <laughs> then your ego's out of control, Kieran. Well, we've known that from the start, though, haven't we? <laughs> I guess. Um, but before we do go to these pastures new, we have one more Showtime boxing podcast mm -hmm. to record. Um, we won't have any news or fight reviews or fight recaps on this episode, uh, partly because we're not entirely sure when this will post, but it will presumably be after the big December 23rd card in Saudi Arabia. But we are recording before that card, and... Given that it is our final part for Showtime, we're going to do things a little differently anyway. Uh, I do have one more fight game with which to test Eric. We have some year-end awards to hand out. But we kick off this final podcast with our final guest, uh, someone who's been synonymous with Showtime Boxing for many years now. He's one of the best and most experienced announcers and analysts in the business. And he's a pretty mean crooner, too. You know, maybe we can get him to sing us all a song. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> he is also our very good friend, and we're delighted to be joined by him on this final podcast. Al Bernstein, welcome back one last time. Gentlemen, it's uh, <clears throat> an honor to uh, be your final guest. And uh, I'm very, uh, very happy we could do this, even if it's bittersweet, because, you know, we're closing something down still. Um, I'm very happy to visit with you guys. Yeah, we're we're thrilled and honored to have you on uh, one last time here, Al. And uh, um, you know, speaking of of, of bittersweet, the you know the, the whole broadcast team made it through the final Showtime Championship Boxing uh, broadcast without breaking down or shedding a tear, at least on air. Um, tell yeah. us a little about what that experience was like. What were the emotions like? Was it tougher than usual to stay fully focused on the fights? Jim Lapley did enough crying at the end of HBO, didn't he? <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I believe he cried for both franchises. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, listen, you know, it's funny. You go about your business, getting ready to do a show, and you watch the pieces, you know, like when we first in, in rehearsal, we watched the P, you know, the, the uh, pieces looking back in time. It got, it gave you a little pang. The time I kind of felt it was, uh, when those pieces ran on the show, uh, hmm. we're in the show, we're watching the lead with the tease. We're watching the, the, one of the final pieces, um, the, about remembering. And that's when it really hit me. And I thought, wow, this is, there's a finality to this, you know, that this particular iteration of my career and of doing boxing is, um, you know, has ended. And, uh, for everybody, of course, you know, I've, we felt uh, we felt melancholy, uh, but that's kind of when it hit me. And, I, you know, for the most part, it's a funny thing you're saying this, though. Moro and I, Moro Rodolfo and I both said to each other at one point, I said to him, I said, you know, I'm having fun on this show. Mm. You know, and he agreed. We were maybe there's some attitude about it being the final show. You just, you know, you do what you do. And that's that. But there was something about it that was was fun. It's so funny that you say that. Kieran has probably said to me on like five different podcasts in the last two months, what are they going to do? Fire us? Uh, exactly. It seems like that was your attitude, maybe. 
<laughs> Precisely. That was exactly it. And I, and I don't even know if it's, a, you know, we're joking about it, but maybe there's a subconscious thing to it where you just kind of relax with the moment and you, uh, you do your thing. And, uh, and I think everybody was, um, you know, because we'd had time to come to grips with what it was going to be. Uh, I think everybody was prepared. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we just kind of tried to have a good time with it. Obviously, this year and certainly the the back half of the year, we've all suspected at least that something might be up. When did you know that the gig was up, that this was happening? Was it only when when Stephen sort of sat out, down with everyone? It found out. I remember the first time we kind of found out was when we went back to New York uh, to do the studio show of uh, Tim Zhu and Brian Mendoza, I think it was. And that's when we kind of got the news that it was going to be announced. It might have been a day or two before they wanted to give us just a little bit of a heads up. Uh, and, you know, it was uh, kind of crushing. Uh, to be honest with you, I kind of thought Showtime Boxing would go on for another year or two. Mm. Uh, that was my general impression. Um, but obviously Paramount, in its cost-cutting uh, measures, um, decided to cut the sports department at Showtime, and that was that. You kind of answered my question there. I was going to ask, did you ever imagine, like a year ago, did you ever imagine we'd be in this place? Did it feel as if things it were going didn't pretty really, well? I mean, it didn't really because, uh, and I don't dwell on these matters that much, but it felt like between the pay-per-view models doing exceptionally well, um, most of the pay-per-view shows in the last couple of years have done very well. And some have been, you know, way over the moon, I would think, in terms of, you know, revenue produced and all the rest. And because the quality of the shows had been good and boxing in general was having a little bit of a renaissance. Um, it seemed like things were, you know, it seemed like we would be good for a little while longer. Now, part of that, but the reason it stopped doesn't didn't really have to do with any of that anyway, right? right? And that's the part where you're it's kind of fool's gold because you're judging something on one uh, criteria when in fact it's a whole different criteria that will end up uh, you know changing the course of things, and that's really what happened. But no, I didn't. I I mean, you know, I think we all felt that at some juncture. Um, because premium boxing, you know, it ended at HBO five years ago. It was doing very well at Showtime, but we know where the world's trending. The world is trending to digital things and uh, uh, and all the rest of it. And you're never immune to change. Uh, while I was doing, a, I don't know if this is a tangent, but. But it's, again, it's the last show. So what you, can you guys do? Never exactly. Do Nothing. Guess, I guess uh, we could we could cut it out if we hate the tangent enough. I'll edit it out. But I doubt uh, I will. And now you're in. You're really bad with that. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling I was thinking about was back when I was at ESPN and I was doing the top ranked boxing series. And after about 16 years, I think they were going to change to another series at ESPN. The top ranked series was ending. And uh, I knew at that moment I was not going to work on the next series. Mm. Okay. And so it the last one of those was really weird, right? You know, 
Um, and so I didn't expect that, you know, I, that series was humming along and a number of different things that they're best not discussed, I guess, involving Bill Caton and other reprobates uh, <laughs> on this planet <laughs> and Roger Bornstein at ESPN. I'm known for never saying anything bad about people, right? Those two names live in infamy in my brain, but okay. that's neither here there. So anyway, so that was a, a similar feeling. This one, though, feels more joyous to me. Uh, it feels it feels like a celebration of what we did. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that's enough talk about the end of the, yeah, the Showtime yeah. gig for now. I actually yeah. want to go back to to your beginnings at Showtime, and and it actually connects nicely to the end of things at ESPN because right. after a little gap, Showtime came along for you. Uh, what do you recall about the process of, of getting the gig there alongside Steve Albert at the time? Yeah, Showtime and. You know, Showtime, of course, was, you know, at that time, especially, you know, it was a, a coveted place to be. And uh, and because I had been doing and, and for about a four year period, I wasn't doing any live boxing. I was covering um, doing things for uh, classic sports. I was at ESPN. I was covering baseball and basketball for Sports Center, And I loved all that. But. I wasn't really at ringside hardly at all doing anything. So the Showtime opportunity when it came along was great. And I was able to get out of a, a final contract with them. And what was remarkable, of course, is you're doing these high level fight, higher level fights with amazing production. And here's you guys will appreciate this. The second show that I did for Showtime was, uh, I believe, uh, Joe Calzaghe against, I think, Brian Mitchell or Byron Mitchell. I can't remember. Byron Mitchell. That's right. Yeah. Byron Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Big punching guy. Um, and we went to Wales to do it. And there was only one fight on that show. <laughs> one. It ended in one and a half rounds. <laughs> and I couldn't help but I saw my plane ticket and I saw what it cost. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I, mean, I thought I multiplied it out by all of playing tickets. And I said, and, yeah, I was thinking to myself, at ESPN, number one, this would have been four plane tickets. And number two, they would have never flown me across the, <laughs> the aisle for a one and a half round. And I laughed, one and a half rounds. But um, it was great. It was wonderful to be there. And, you know, that was the beginning. That was during the Jay Larkin era. Uh, and they were you know, every everybody retools at various points, right? And I lived through three different, uh, at Showtime, three different uh, uh, ruling bodies, if you will. Jay Larkin, <laughs> then Ken Hirschman, and then Stephen Espinoza. During Jay's period, we were going to the Saturday Nights Without Rights was the theme. Right. And they were doing a lot of different, with a lot of different promoters, and it was good. You know, it was really an interesting time, and the bouts were, you know, extremely good, and we had a lot of fun. It's funny the uh, talking about the one and a half rounds and what the plane ticket costs. All it, it reminds me of when when Mike Tyson was blowing people out in a in a, in a minute and a half yeah. in some of his biggest fights, and people would then calculate how many millions of dollars he made per second. I guess it, exactly. it's, it's it's relative. You weren't quite making millions per second, no, but not, uh... <laughs> not quite Mike Tyson uh, money. But yeah, but it was interesting, and uh, you know, it was a it was a different world for me anyway. And um, and the, the boxing was really good. And during that period, I mean, I came in 2003. And during that, I don't want to lead into things before you get into them. But during that period, 
was when I had a couple of unique experiences that were um, at the top of my list. Uh, one was Ricky Hatton and Costa Zoo in Manchester, where you know they filled up that arena, and we had it late at night for the U.S. audience, and the fans had been imbibing for a long time, you know, <laughs> early in the evening, and they but they lifted uh, Ricky Hatton in a way. I'm not a, you know, I'm not the kind of person that pays much stock in in esoteric things all the time. Something happened that night. There was some magic uh, that infused Ricky Hatton to make him even better. So that was one thing. And it was shortly after I came. And then, of course, after that came Castillo Corrales, which I'm sure you guys are are anxious to deal with. Yeah, I was going to ask, actually. If, if there is what you would look back on most fondly in your time at Showtime, apart obviously from being on our podcast, which is number one, but after that, over the last <laughs> 20 years. That well, for one thing of night, I will say, I mean, it's hard. Let's put it this way. For one fight that kind of encapsulates, in my opinion, both the excellence of top rank boxing as a production unit and the excitement of boxing. I'm hard pressed to exceed the fight between the first fight between Diego Corrales and uh, Jose Luis Castillo. It was, and the astonishing thing is, as you guys well know, there wasn't 20,000 people at Mandalay Bay. There was like six or seven, maybe. For whatever reason, everybody knew that fight was going to be great. It didn't get the kind of patronage that you would think. But, you know, what was produced that night was magical. And if there's there's about four or five nights in my whole career where I can point to, you know, we're all critical of what we do. And, uh, you know, you try not to be delusional about what you think you did was good or bad and find the middle. But there's about four or five nights that are, I think are were quality nights where I was very proud to have my name, you know, attached to the broadcast. That was one of them. Uh, Steve Albert, who was my partner at the time, I thought was brilliant in his call of that fight. And I thought we allowed it to breathe enough and let the fight tell the story and not get in the way of them, but, but add something to the broadcast. And that was a remarkable evening. Yeah, I, I um, when I'm ringside, I don't always go back and watch the broadcast of the fight if I've actually been at the fight. I did for that, and um, mm-hmm. and that was when I think probably like all of us, I've watched over many, many, many times since, and it does. Yeah, it's mesmerizing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were the first. You noticed because I remember being ringside, and I noticed that when it looked like Diego was done after the second knockdown, the right hand. Landed, I think it was the right hand. You were the yeah. first one to call it. You noticed yeah. it. You know, it's funny how you have little things that stay with you over the years i mean i've probably gotten a million not a million but a lot of texts tweets um uh call uh, uh state uh, you know written uh statements about that particular thing because the momentum was clearly in the favor of jose luis castillo but then there was that right hand that got in and uh i was able to make reference to it and the the effects weren't immediately seen over the four three or four seconds, but then they were seen. And um, 
You know, it's a funny thing about what you're saying. I just believe that when those kind of good moments happen to you, it's a byproduct of, and this is going to sound ridiculous, of paying attention. Sometimes when people are announcing boxing, especially, they're so busy talking about the narrative of what's in front of them. They're not tuned into the moment. And uh, we were pretty tuned into the moment on that fight. And I, I, I think that's part of the reason why I was able to identify that. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention to what you were just saying. Yeah, what, what was it, that, Al? I, nor was it that. <laughs> <laughs> and that applies, by the way, to podcasts as well. It does. It does. But a, a little more high stakes when there's uh, fists flying in front of you. And it's funny about the, the end of that fight is you had your great moment of identifying that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that Corrales had hurt him. Steve has a perfect call that lives in my mind of weak steps in and the fight is over. And and Joe Goosen also has a vocal moment we'll never forget in the in that 10th round. So you you all had your moments there. It it was it was a I mean, you can't beat that fight because, number one, it was amazing. I would say I mean, I did Hagler Hearns and people say, what's your best fight? It's it's Castillo Corrales only because it's Hagler Hearns times three. Uh, now, it didn't have the global stakes of, of uh, Hagler-Hearns, but um, the interesting thing about it is that this fight, uh, Castillo-Corrales had these, it was an act in, you know, three parts. For the first was the eight, and a, eight plus rounds, the nine rounds, I guess, that were fought at an absurd pace with amazing brutality and amazing skill. Then there was the second part, which was the part in which Castillo uh, knocked him down twice and almost had him out. And then there was the third part where Corrales, against all odds, came back to win. So when you have that kind of drama with a fight that produced fireworks, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. So I have a, a broadcasting question related to to that era versus the current era. Um, do you prefer broadcasting as part of a two-man booth versus a three-man booth? I, I assume there are pros and cons to each, and this isn't a reflection on the specific partners necessarily, but just two-man versus yeah. three-man. Do you have a preference? Look, I, I have enjoyed my partners uh, a lot uh, at Showtime. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I had the Steve Albert uh, booth. I had Antonio Tarver and Gus Johnson with me. I enjoyed that booth. Uh, you know, Paulie Malnagy and Morrow with me. That was great. Then Abner Morris. Amaro and uh, myself uh, finishing things out. But I have to be honest, and I've said it publicly, I believe all sports were made for two voices. Hmm. All sports. Uh, Don Dunphy, who I got to know and who would mentor me in his later years, um, a wonderful gift, thought one voice was all you needed. And when I did the Olympic Festival for ESPN, one of the Olympic festivals we did, Barry Tompkins, who was my partner, was hosting. So they had me do it alone. And Don Dunphy called me after that. He saw me doing it. And he said, see, Al, I told you, you don't need anybody else. Oh, that's great. Wow. To have so Don Dunphy compliment you as a solo broadcaster. That's yeah, pretty good. That was, yeah, I, I could have died. It's, I, I had my <laughs> Sally Fields moment right there, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. I Listen, I like you can make a three-man booth work and you have to work at it because you need to the fight. You know, the event you're doing has to breathe at some point for the fan, I, I, I think. And nowadays, my pet peeve in sports is that it doesn't. But um, 
you have to work at a three-man booth. And and all the three-man booths I've been in at Showtime, we have worked at it to try and make it, you know, so that you everybody has their time, but you still have some dead air in there somewhere. Uh, but, but if I'm going to give you an honest answer, and why wouldn't I on this final <laughs> podcast, I'm going to say two-man boots are better, and they're better in all sports. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of following on from that. I had like a two-part question. When you were working by yourself, how different do you find doing blow-by-blow blow as opposed to working with someone who's doing blow-by-blow, blow blow, first of all? And which do you prefer? It's funny you're saying that because when I was at ESPN, I did a lot of play-by-play. And at Showtime, I would sometimes sit in with Steve Farhood and do the Showbox shows. And a couple of special ones that we did, I did with Steve and Antonio Tarver. Uh, And today, strangely enough, I went back. I don't know why I was on YouTube watching the fight in which Johnny Tapia won his uh, first world title in New Mexico. Mm. That was one of the best nights I've ever had announcing boxing. Uh, And it was in New Mexico and it was just emotional and wonderful. And Dave, and I was doing play by play and Dave Von Tempo, who does a fine Mm. job was my color was the color commentator. To be honest, I enjoy both equally as much. Mm. Play by play is fun because it's different. I love the challenge of putting away the analyst hat and saying, I'm going to do it the way you're supposed to do it or try to without infusing too much opinion, without accidentally straying into the area that I normally do. So it's kind of fun to have that challenge and do it that way. Doing it, Steve Farhad and I were talking about this. Steve has done a couple of fights that he's done alone. And I've had a few where it's been just one voice, just like Don Dunphy. And there is a complete freedom to that because you can let the fight breathe for as long as you want. You can come in with a comment. You can help do do a little play-by-play here. Then you can do a little analysis over there because in Steve and I's case, that's what we do. Um, So that is a, you rarely get the opportunity to do that. It happens once in a blue moon, but that's a fascinating uh, endeavor. And yeah, when Don Dunphy called me and said, you know, see, that's that's what you need to be doing. I said, well, that's fun. I said, but you know what? Our ESPN top ring boxing shows were two and a half hours. (laughs) And I said, I don't know if I really, and I did do, by the way, I did one ESPN top ring boxing show for the full two and a half hours. For some reason, they wanted to try that. Wow. Wow. But, uh, but it is an interesting phenomenon when you get to do that. What makes a good ringside analyst? I mean, obviously, if you're the one to talk about it, you've done it for almost 40 years now. So what's the success? What's, what's the key? I have a very definitive idea on it. Uh, other people can agree or disagree. Uh, I think there are three buckets of what you're supposed to do. One is have anecdotal and insightful and or informational material uh, at your disposal. That could be CompuBox numbers. It could be a story about the fighter and what they are or what they do. Uh, Knowing that the play-by-play guy is going to do some of that, you still have it all sitting there in case there's a reason to say it. Um, Or when I say insight, I don't mean opinion. I mean... Well, 
you know, he has thrown his jab, even if you don't have the numbers, you know, he has used his jab regularly in the first part of fights, but not the second part, whatever. Th mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, you have to adapt to the action that is happening, provide people with, with uh, what fighters are doing well and what they might not be doing so well. That's your second part and about the moment and the past part of the fight. And then the third thing, which you don't do very often, but if you're decent at your job, you do it sometimes. And that is foreshadowing what's going to come mm. without making it a definite and without making a prediction, but giving people a good idea of what might come. The greatest who ever sat down at a mic to do that was Gil Clancy, who of course was a great trainer and he was a, a savant. I did play-by-play -play a number of times with Gil on pay-per-view fights, just he and I, and we did D Barkley Duran together, and that was an amazing night. But he was astonishing at doing it. I feel like I've had my moments doing it, and, and I'm proud when I can do it and do it in a way, and I don't leap off that ledge very often. I really don't. You know, I we had it recently. You know, we had here's here's the place to do it. Subriel Matias offers me a chance to do that in every fight he's in. <laughs> you know, Daniel Ponce destroyed him for a round and a half. But the fact that he stayed upright allowed me to say, as I did, as absurd as this seems, Subriel Matias has a very good chance to get back and win this fight. In the next four or five rounds, he did. Ergashev right. uh, did the same thing to Subriel Matias a few weeks ago, a month ago. And once again, I said, this is fantastic what Ergashev is doing. God bless him. But, you know, <laughs> don't count your chickens. And sure enough, Matias was able to, you know. And then there are other times when you see trends in terms of what fighters are throwing specific punches and you know that something's coming. Hmm. So that thinks that if you can do all those, uh, you've done your job as a uh, as an analyst. Yeah, and that's that's a great breakdown. Um, so let, let me let me spin things forward a, a bit here with you, Al, in terms of what the future holds. I mean, you you talked early in the conversation about uh, things moving to streaming. That's obviously the yeah. direction some of it is headed. Yeah. Is it a bad thing if boxing all moves to streaming? And, and just in general, what, what do boxing and boxing broadcasting need to do to remain viable and popular for years to come? Yeah. You know, look, some sports like the NFL, right? Be, I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen with network TV or cable TV. It's going to be around for a while, certainly. Uh, but we don't know where, you know, how much longer and where it's going to go. So the digital platforms are the way a lot of people consume almost all their entertainment now, or a lot of it. And now those digital platforms are want to be in sports, right? Because they know that if they capture all these people, the better chance of keeping them is to have a lot of different things for them. And that includes sports. So it'll feel like they're the network that they should have as their main streaming channel. Uh, boxing is kind of, an, to me, could be a natural fit for that. And, and we're seeing some of it. You have zone already, which pioneered the digital area. PBC is going to a digital platform. Uh, 
And as far as what, how that plays out for boxing and for the fans, the simple fact is it's about availability. You know, when boxing was on the networks for free, obviously it helped the sport immensely. That went away. It was on premium channels. People got those premium channels, but there was a limited number of people that got them, whether it's HBO or Showtime. Well, let's just be honest. Amazon Prime, for instance, goes to more homes than mm -hmm. I think probably Showtime or HBO uh, went to and so, or go to. So in theory, that provides an opportunity for more people. Now, it's still a pay wall because you have to pay for Amazon. Right. Uh, but many of the people probably are already doing that. Um, I mean, you know, there's three of us here. And I'm just going to say, I'm guessing at least two of the three of us gets Amazon Prime. Yep. All right. One, there you one, go. one hand up. Yep. And mine, Kieran, <laughs> so what about you? Three for three. Right. Okay. Yep. We're all there. I mean, We're you know, there. we have to watch. Listen, I know you guys. You know, uh, I know you guys are watching Reacher every week. You know, I know that. So <laughs> my new favorite show. But yeah, that's 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 an Al recommendation. I haven't actually checked that one show. out. All right. If you missed the first season, it's phenomenal. And okay. the second season just started. It's tremendous. So okay. needless to say. So, yeah, that's one of the streamers that you, we're likely to have. Well, you know, so we don't have to go buy. We're an example. And we could probably take a poll of all the people that are boxing fans or cover and a great, a, a good portion of them probably already get that. So they're, it's available to them. And for the people that don't, you know, they are, they, they're going to, they would pay a certain amount, but then they would get all the benefits they get from Amazon prime and they would be able to, to watch it. Uh, and you know, if I may be so bold, you know, that it's that that is less money than they may pay at, on some other spot for for digital boxing, whether it is, you know, that, but that's a different. You're going to get more of a quantity maybe somewhere else. I don't know. But the point is, it's a, certainly a viable option in any case. Boxing, we may not see boxing on over the air networks anymore. There was an yeah. effort when when PBC tried to do that. Uh, that didn't totally, you know, it didn't go all the way to the home run they were hoping for. Um, it's hard. It's a hard do now. It mm -hmm. just is for anybody. And, uh, of course, top ranks on ESPN, but that still is cable. That's not over the air. So even though it has a very broad audience that, you know, is good for boxing. I mean, that, that series being on ESPN is a plus for boxing. Uh, so, I think we're going to see a lot more digital. And as long as that digital is available to people, and as long as the production level is good and the sport's presented in a good way, it's the same as anywhere else. Yeah. Final question before we let you go. Um, where are you going to be in this whole new era of boxing, streaming, and broadcasting? Do you know yet? Will we be seeing you calling PBC on Prime? Are you just taking a bit of time to figure it out? When we well, let's just say I have no plans to retire. Okay. And uh, I anticipate uh, continuing to do boxing in the uh, in the near future. <laughs> how's that for a <laughs> how's that for a, a vague and diplomatic answer? Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm gonna infer, I'm gonna I feel positive about that response. I'm I'm gonna well, I'm, I'm gonna infer some things the there. So I'm okay. hoping to you know uh, continue on and. Uh, uh, I, I enjoy doing it. Listen, I, I, 
I would like to do this for a few more years. I enjoy it. I feel like I'm uh, still doing it at the level I would want to be doing it. If I wasn't, I, I definitely would would not want to do it uh, anymore. Uh, and um, I, you know, I love doing it. And I, I, I love focusing in on the sport. I've never been a guy that looked backwards so much anyway, uh, either in the way I call a fight or what I do or how I approach it. Uh, so I think I'm of the moment. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. And uh, broadcasting is just fun for me. And so I'd like to, you know, I want to continue on. And uh, I feel, you know, very happy about the possibility of doing that. And if there is any kind of an interim period between the end of Showtime and whatever comes next, mm -hmm. is a full-time residency at the Tuscany a possibility? Well, yeah, it's interesting you're saying that. You know, I, I'm I'm doing a show um, on the 30th at, in a jazz club here in Las Vegas, uh, as guest star on the show. And um, it's funny you're saying that because I've actually thought to myself that that would be a good time to initiate being a little more regular with the music. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's weird. I've thought about that. It'll give me a little interim maybe uh, time period to, uh, to do a little bit more of that, because uh, as you well know, I kind of enjoy that as well. Yes. And we will. And you uh, guys are you guys are loyal patrons of, uh, of that. So I that appreciate that very much. That's right. And 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 I would say I, ha I haven't seen Reacher. I probably shouldn't say this, but I think the dollar for dollar entertainment value I recommend to our listeners over Reacher or anything else. If you're if you're near the Tuscany when Al is performing, check it out. Ah, uh, thank you very much. Well, <laughs> we have fun at those shows. You guys have been by there, and uh, we we have a good time. I get I surround myself with talented people, and we we try and make it an enjoyable, fun evening that is you know where everybody can leave with a smile on their face. So that's the that's the goal of it. And I you know I I'll do that as long as I can do it as well. You know, right. try to keep that at a a level that I feel like people will enjoy and have fun with so you know that's uh that's what is and let me say throw back at you guys um we need to continue to have you guys uh i know you two work in many different platforms and many different areas both written and spoken but uh the two of you together are uh have made the whole showtime experience a a special one this podcast has been a very important part of the Showtime array of, of uh, offerings. And so everybody needs more of you two together on a platform in the future. I'm, I'm going to say that that's something that boxing fans need to have. All right, Kieran, we got the clip we needed. We we can wrap it up now. <laughs> I'm here, <laughs> I, I'm here exactly. to shamelessly provide those for you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We'll be emailing that to Stephen right after this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You need everybody needs to have more of you two guys. There's no question about that. Yeah. And Thank I, you. My I, wife I, would disagree. I, you know, it almost sounds like I'm being facetious, and of course I'm not. Uh one of the good things about this is it provides a place where you can put in perspective. You guys talk about all boxing, of course. But you can put in perspective the things that just happened, whether it's on a Showtime show or something coming up uh, or delve into, as you often do, the individual things with people of what they're up to and everything. It gives, I think, a uh, a platform for people to 
help digest things that they've seen and figure out the significance of something or go back and uh, realize better what they just saw and what they might see in the future. You know, we, we and and guess what? You get to do this show and nobody is spouting uh, ideas that they absolutely don't believe in. Nobody's mm. screaming and yelling. Mm-hmm. Nobody's calling anybody any names. <laughs> Although there may have been a little name calling at some point in the show, but yeah. infrequently. Anyway, yeah, I don't right. know. But yeah. so it's it's a valuable thing, and you guys have provided a a great service. And I know we're going to see more of you guys, both in your individual pursuits, but together for sure. Thank you so much, Al. Awesome. Thank you so much, Al, and thank you for for being such a great friend of us and of the podcast over the years, and and thank you for being our final guest. And yeah, here's to a reunion in 2024. Absolutely, and uh, you know what? We've had fun, a lot of fun in the last month or two in various formats and various places looking back because you want to celebrate the memories that you've had uh, and saying a fond goodbye and, uh, you know, knowing that life moves on and the world moves on. So it's true of every single thing we do, isn't it? So you, you have to handle it the right way and, and, uh, move on and go on to the next thing. And that's what we're all doing. That was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Many, many thanks to Al for that. That was an even better final interview that I could even have imagined, even even knowing how much fun we had with Al anyway. Uh, that yeah. was really enjoyable. Absolutely. Just just perfect. I might have gotten a wee bit teary-eyed at the end there. A little spoiler. A little, little <laughs> behind the scenes. You, just a you, little bit. To, to, to reference the same man that Al referenced, uh, you almost went full Lampley on us? Almost. Almost. Okay. Not quite, but almost. Okay. All right. Time now for the final Showtime version edition of the fight game. Are you ready, Eric? I guess so. Uh, whether you say anything to create pressure or not, I feel like there's pressure built into this one as the final one. I kind of kind of feel like I got to perform here. Boy, I would really suck on the final one to not get it until the fifth clue. <laughs> Boy, I hope that doesn't happen to you. It would actually be hilarious if you made it extra hard and even the fifth clue was tough so that I would totally fail. But I trust you. I trust you won't do that. That's unwise. But anyway, here we go. All <laughs> okay. right. Clue number one. Trash-talking in the build-up to a fight certainly has its place. But as this title challenger found in this fight that was aired on Showtime, it can rebound against you in violent fashion. Hmm. Okay. So, on Showtime, the challenger talked trash and paid some sort of price for it. Um, hmm feel like that so this whatever this trash that he talked had to be somewhat famous somewhat memorable uh trying to think of like there was all those sort of camacho pazienza era uh fights where they talked a lot of trash i can't remember whether any of those were on showtime Uh, i'm gonna go ahead right now and say you are in exactly the right era oh okay all right um oh I may have it. I may be about to close this oh, out yes. in one, although we'll call it one and a half because you gave me, you told me I was okay. in the right era. Uh, but would this be the oft referenced uh, in, during these final days of Showtime when people are remembering some of the most memorable uh, events? Would this be in which referred to the 
punished him for it. Is that the answer? A phenomenal finish to the fight game. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll have to uh, employ the, the bleep technique on the final episode here uh, so that the, the listeners can get more than one clue out of it without knowing the answer. And I guess because I gave the answer in such a prolonged way, I'll probably, I made it difficult for myself. I have to add quite a few bleeps, but uh, all right. I, and I, I do have to say, I don't know that it would have occurred to me if you hadn't given me that extra little half a clue, but I will, I will gladly take a victory in one on the final. Uh, final you were fight. so on, on the button by mentioning those guys <laughs> that, and you know, it's the holiday season and the final podcast. So I was like, right. get on, let's give him a little bit of help. Um, and I'm curious whether you would have gotten it with any of these other clues. Clue number two, the challenger entered the ring with a record of 32 and four and had picked up an alphabet belt one division below this fight. Uh, the champion was undefeated and in the midst of developing a Hall of Fame career. So if you didn't know his record, that probably was uh, unhelpful. I don't I don't think I don't think that the and I'll, I'll avoid using names since the listeners don't know the names yet. Uh, I, I don't think that the challengers record would have helped me at all, but maybe the undefeated uh, Hall of Fame bit about the champion may may have gotten me there. Yes, might have picked up on maybe there's a specific reason why he's not mentioning, right. mentioning the, the, the <laughs> right. record. Right. Clue three, if you know the fight, you would have probably gotten it. The champion dropped the challenger within seconds of the opening bell, but instead of finishing him, chose to sit back and punish him for several more rounds. Would you have gotten it with that? I don't, you know, I don't even remember the specifics of the fight. I rem I know what round yeah. it ends in, but I didn't remember an early okay. knockdown. So I'm that may not have helped me. Yeah. Okay. Starting to increase the clues here in clue number yes. four. The champion's body attack was so fierce that the challenger's right arm was red from trying to block the multiple left hooks to the liver. It was all to no avail, however, as referee Joe Cortez stepped in to halt the one-sided beating in the fifth round. Yeah, so I think by now, even if it hadn't occurred to me at all in clue one and with your little extra hand, I, I can't imagine a world where I wouldn't have gotten it by four. And had you not gotten it with five we probably would not have been able to get anybody to pay for subscriptions because <laughs> number five, there were at least 135,000 people in the arena that night, although it is not recorded how many of them were taxi drivers from Tijuana. <laughs> Safe to say, however, that they all roared on the lion of Culiacan as he savaged the unfortunate mutt. Mm. Was that, was that Haugen's nickname? The mutt? Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have remembered that. There was uh, a documentary about him called mutt. Oh, okay. Um, so I, so I, now, now you can go ahead, I guess, for anyone who got this far and say the, the fight, the date, whatever. It was Julio Cesar Chavez, TKO5, Greg Hogan, defending 140 pound belt, uh, February 20th, 1993. Yes. Can you believe it? And what, what was the uh, alleged attendance there? Like 130,000, something like that? It was, I, I believe the official attendance was 132,000 and some mm. hundreds. Wow. That was yeah. the official paid attendance. Can you imagine? Yeah. Excellent, excellent choice of a fight to finish on because that is one of those truly historic Showtime events. So, uh, yeah. You know what I did? I went into the um, highlights of Showtime sports document that Chris de Blasio put together. Mm, okay. Because I thought, well, I wonder if there were any fights he specifically selected. And a lot of them were either too obvious or we've already done. And that was in there, and I thought, and like you said, it had been referenced quite a bit, so I thought, yeah, there you go. 
Right. Yeah, it's one of those fights that anyone who was there working for Showtime, when you ask them about their their Showtime memories, now there are only so many people still working for Showtime who were actually there in the early 90s, but anyone who was there counts it among the, the, the sort of keystone memories of, of their time to yes. be at that scene that crowd everyone has a story of something crazy they witnessed uh so uh and of course it was pretty darn close to peak julio cesar chavez in the ring yeah yes indeed all right we have one last piece of formal business before we turn out the lights handing out the prestigious Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney year-end awards. We have nominees for Knockout, Upset, Round, Fight, and Fighter of the Year, so let's go through them one at a time. Eric, hit us with the nominees for KO of the Year and your choice, sir. All right. Uh, In this category, we have five nominees. Uh, In each category, it's three to five. So uh, five for this one, including two Showtime fights, although Showtime fights don't get any preferential treatment. Uh, Taking the nominees chronologically, we have April 8th on Showtime, Brian Mendoza, way behind on the cards in the seventh round, buckling Sebastian Fundora's knees with a left hook and then knocking him out with a right and a left. On May 20th, in the 12th round of a super flyweight fight, Kunto Nakatani finishing off Andrew Maloney with a sudden brutal left hand. Just one week after that, May 27th in Belfast, Luis Alberto Lopez icing Mick Conlon with a right uppercut. Uh, Next up, a showbox fight. On August 24th, Jordan Short Dog White and Eridson Garcia threw left hooks at the same time in the first round, but White's was shorter and got there first and turned out Garcia's lights. And just last week, December 15th, Ioannis Tejas, a ridiculous left hook in round 10 to knock Levan Navarro unconscious. This is a close one. This is a really tough call. They're all beautiful, savage knockouts. Um, All of them one punch except Mendoza Fandora. I think Mendoza Fundora was the most significant fight of all these and the most memorable KO, but was it the KO of the year? Uh, Nakatani Maloney was the most vicious and visceral for my money. And for sentimental reasons, I kind of want to give it to a showbox fight, um, but I won't. I I think in the end, not by any decisive margin, but I lean Nakatani KO 12 Maloney just for the absolute brutality of the KO and the way Maloney crumpled. Yeah, there was a an abundance of short left hook knockouts this year um, in that list. Uh, I had Nakatani over Maloney as the leader in the clubhouse for a long time. The only thing that gave me a slight pause about it is that Maloney shouldn't have been there in the 12th round. His point. corner should have pulled him by then. Um, he, he was in, in no state. So that gave me a slight pause, even though, oh my goodness, what a what a knockout it was. Yeah, Johannes Teo's making that strong last-minute bid for glory. But you know what's funny? My favorite is a knockout that I had forgotten about until you reminded me about it. And then I went back and watched it, and I just absolutely love the technique of it. You've talked about it already. Jordan White's beautiful, sharp counter left hook, first round knockout of Edison Garcia. What I liked about it, rewatching it, it was, it was technically so beautiful. Yeah. It was so short. It was so fast. And as you said, it was thrown just as Garcia was launching a punch of his own. It actually took a couple of, for me, a couple of rewatchings just to, I was almost distracted by Garcia's <laughs> yeah. larger punts, right? And, and then you have to watch to see, no, he just stepped inside him with that beautiful, beautiful short. Uh, left hook technically as close to perfect a punch as you'll see i'm like that i'd actually forgotten about it i'm glad that you reminded me of it because when i went back and looked at them all again i thought no that's the one i just thought it was so technically lovely 
All right. Good. Show. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that one of us did pick a Showtime fight. And, uh, you know, of course, it's you. You're the bigger sellout. So uh, but but yeah, no, honestly, 100%. <laughs> well, honestly, this is this is a category where I really think the, there was not a lot separating these any of these, depending on exactly what you're looking for, could have been the knockout of the year. Indeed. Um, moving on to upset of the year. I don't know that we had too many earth-shaking upsets this year, but we certainly have some decent ones from which to choose. Uh, I, I put mine because that's the kind of person I am. I haven't methodically organized them chronologically. I've just thrown <laughs> them together because okay. that's how I work. Um, Zhang July over Joe Joyce. Brian Mendoza over Sebastian Fondora. Rafael Espinosa over Robesi Ramirez, Chantel Cameron over Katie Taylor in their first fight, and Marlon Tapales over Murajan Akhmadaliev. Um, I thought I didn't really consider Cameron over Taylor too much because I thought that Cameron always had a good shot mm -hmm. in, in that fight. I don't know that it was that much of an upset, even if it did take Taylor's undefeated record. I thought about Tapales Akhmadaliev, but I also realized that perhaps... That would have been more of a personal thing because I had such a such a high opinion and continue to over Akhmadaliev. Um, I thought about Mendoza over Fandora. I definitely thought about Espinosa against over Ramirez, but I think we'll be talking about that a little bit more before we're done with this segment. So in the end, I went with Zhang over Joe Joyce. Going into their first fight, Joyce was emerging as the boogeyman of the heavyweight division. And Zhang, he just had not been impressing. Um, and in particular, in, in a few recent fights, he'd shown a fairly worrying lack of stamina. But in hindsight, it was the perfect style matchup for Zhang and a nightmare one for Joyce as Zhang just kept tattooing a guy who, again, in hindsight, game plan had become a little bit too much like Homer Simpson against Dredrick Tatum. Just <laughs> hope that the opponents wear themselves out and keep plowing forward. Um, it's the winner for me, partly because of its ripple effects. Uh, in that it removed Joyce, perhaps permanently, as a serious heavyweight contender, and it moves Zhang up as the next man in line behind that Fury Wilder Joshua Usyk axis. That is a fine choice. Um, so I'm a betting man, as you know, Kieran, uh, as mm -hmm. you soon will be too when the sports books launch Indeed in Vermont so. in a few weeks. Um, but so for, for upset of the year, I have to at least take the odds into consideration. Um, and I was able to quickly erase two of these from my consideration because the odds weren't that wide relative to the others. Uh, and they're the first two that you crossed off uh, in, in describing your choice. Uh, Topalis was only about a plus 320 underdog, and Cameron was actually a mere plus 200. So, so those two are, are out for me. The other three were all close in terms of the numbers. Mendoza was plus 600, Zhang was plus 600, Espinosa was plus 650. So all, all right in the same neighborhood there. And I bounced back and forth on this a bit because... I was quite high on Fundora coming into his fight. And relatively, I had my questions about Rabisi Ramirez throughout his pro career. But the public perception was that Ramirez was a possible future pound for pound type of guy. And Espinosa just couldn't have seemed more like a no hoper on paper. He was just so completely unknown, untested, unproven. So I can certainly see a case for Mendoza, Fundora, or for Zhang Joyce, the one you picked. But to me, the upset of the year is Espinoza getting off to that hot start, surviving a near knockout in the middle rounds and producing those 12th round fireworks to score the upset decision over the two-time Olympic gold medalist, Rabisi Ramirez. Uh, next up round of the year, uh, we have three standout nominees to consider here. 
all late in thrilling fights. Uh, we just talked about the Espinosa Ramirez upset. Well, round 12 there. Great action, like we saw the whole fight, and great drama in the closing moments with the underdog Espinosa scoring the critical fight clinching knockdown. Another dramatic 12th round with a knockdown in a close fight. Jaime Munguia, Sergei Derevyanchenko, round 12. It was a one sided round, but insane drama with Munguia seemingly maybe needing not just the knockdown, but possibly a knockout. Um, and then there's round 11 of Oshaki Foster versus Eduardo Rocky Hernandez. Shock needing a knockout to successfully defend his title. And he hurt Rocky with a left hook early in the round, kept pushing for the finish. And from out of nowhere, Rocky hurt him with a counter left. Suddenly he's in trouble and they're just slugging it out caveman style for the entire second half of the round, both trying to finish it which in the next round with 30 seconds left in the fight, Foster did to save his title belt. You can probably tell based on the amount of description relative uh, to the other fights that I gave that one, that for me, this one isn't all that hard. It's Foster Hernandez round 11 as my round of the year. As I think I said at the time, there were slight Gaddy Ward round nine vibes. Mm. And if you make me say the words Gaddy Ward round nine, you have my vote for round of the year. (laughs) Yeah. And we have the first the first category in which we uh, are in complete accord. Uh, okay. All three were were terrific rounds, but I'm going with round eleven of Foster Hernandez for the reasons that that you said. Primarily those those momentum shifts. The fact that Foster had Hernandez seemingly out on his feet and quite early in the round, it really looked as if it was just going to be a matter of time. I mean, Hernandez even at one point kind of half walking away uh, yeah. uh, as as if he he was just done. Um, Yet, like you said, somehow he's just able to land one short punch inside that backed him up a bit, and then more, and then, well, then then they were just just throwing leather down the stretch of that round. A phenomenal round in a very good fight, and and, uh, I think, yes, I'm with you, I think that's the clear winner in this category. Okay. And and now we have another uh, nominee for upset of the year that it took until the third category before we agreed on yes. something. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, which leads us to the fight of the year. And our nominees are Jaime Munguia against Sergei Derevyanchenko, Joe Cordina over Shavkat Rakimov, and Rafael Espinosa over Robisi Ramirez. And after watching them through again, whew, I was mighty, mighty tempted to throw my vote to Mungia Derevianchenko, which was an absolutely tremendous fight. Again, with those momentum shifts, very hard to tell who was going to win that fight until the very last moment. But I'm going, perhaps with a touch of recency bias, for Espinosa Ramirez. You described it so well when we discussed it on the podcast, when you mentioned how almost brought back your love of boxing. There was there was just so much to be excited about with this fight. There's the narrative of the decorated amateur trying to prove that he truly belongs in the pro ranks, the completely unheralded opponent looking to pull off the massive shock, that dramatic last round, tremendous skill, very different fighting styles between the two men. Ah, uh, a absolutely tremendous on the edge of your seat fight from beginning to end. Uh, I had um, the other fight. I had Cordina uh, Rakimov, a fairly distant third behind mm-hmm. these two. Ah, if you want to pick Mungia Derevianchenko, I'm certainly not going to fight you over it because that was a fantastic fight. But I'm just going to go for Espinosa Ramirez by the thinnest of margins. 
All right. Now, now we're delivering the sort of content that the listeners have come to expect as we agreed for a second category in a row. Um, yeah, the, the same fight that I picked for upset of the year, I'm picking for fight of the year, Espinosa Ramirez. It may not have had the most sustained action of the three, but for ebb and flow and dramatic swings and, and watching a fighter come back from the absolute brink in the middle rounds to narrowly win, this was a special fight. Espinosa Ramirez <laughs> was the fight of the year in my eyes. You know, no fierce arguments with anyone who picks one of the others. But but for me, I didn't struggle that much. To me, this was uh, quite quite clearly my choice for fight of the year. And that brings us to our last category, the ultimate prize, fighter of the year. We have five nominees. I'll go alphabetical by last name. Terrence Crawford uh, only fought once in 2023, but that one fight was a dominant ninth round knockout of Errol Spence. Javante Davis uh, was on a hell of a trajectory, knocking out Garcia's left and right. Uh, Hector in January, (laughs) Ryan in a mega fight in April, but due to legal issues, only had those two bouts this year. Devin Haney also fought twice this year, a controversial decision over Vasily Lomachenko in May and a brilliant shutout of Regis Progre in December. Not only in a way, and this one's tricky, because he still has a fight to come on December 26th against Marlon Tapalis. The people who are not going on vacation Christmas week and can record pods after that fight will be making fighter of the year picks from a better vantage point than us. Uh, But we can only do what we can do. Um, Tune into the first episode of the interim champion boxing podcast, I guess, to find out if we're changing our picks. Uh, (laughs) But but anyway, so far in a way's resume for 2023 is a brilliant KO8 of Stephen Fulton. And last nominee, Tim Zhu, he fought, gasp, three times this year. Uh, KO9 <laughs> over Tony Harrison, KO1 Carlos Acampo, and the unanimous decision win over Brian Mendoza. So those are the nominees. And um, again, if in a way looks sensational beating Topolis, I truly may revise this pick. But for now, he's not my pick, nor is Zhu. I uh, didn't beat any A-listers, though those were all good wins. I can't pick Tank either. Two very good KO wins, but I think he needed a third fight to have a shot here. And I can't pick Devin Haney because I'm sorry, but he was one and one this year in my book. If you scored the Loma fight for Haney, then fine. You can justify making Haney your fighter of the year, but I can't. So I'm giving it to a boxer who only fought once this year. And I typically don't like to do that. But when that one win has us spending the entire next week wondering if it was the greatest dominant win over a pound-for-pound level fighter in boxing history, I think it's okay to name that person fighter of the year off a single win. So yeah, Terrence Bud Crawford is my 2023 fighter of the year. And in the end, I really didn't even struggle all that much with this choice. He did something truly remarkable and special in his lone outing this year that exceeded what anyone else did in two or three fights. Yeah, there is a caveat to the caveat that you okay. mentioned. Yes, if if Inoue looks terrific when he be, if he beats uh, Tapales, then absolutely we we can reconsider that. If Marlon Tapales beats Naoya Inoue, oh. he is not only the clear slam dunk fighter of the year; it's the clear slam dunk upset of the year. You're well. right. Um, I hadn't even thought about that possibility, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. So. With that in mind, <laughs> that said, as things stand, and we are recording on December 19th, as of this point, um, we're just considering, in a way, a defeat of, of, of Steph Fulton. Um, look, I see the case for Tim Zoo 
not least because he has fought three times. And each one can make the case that each win was progressively more impressive. Um, if you thought that Devin Haney beat Vasily Lomachenko, I absolutely see the case for that because of the extent to which he utterly dominated Regis Progre. I am with you. I do not think that Devin Haney beat Vasily Lomachenko. Um, I thought he gave him a terrific fight and both men deserve credit for it. But I agree with you. I think he's one and one. Davis was probably the leader in the clubhouse at the end of April. But, well, then things happened. And as a consequence, things didn't happen. And and I, as good as his Garcia wins were, they do not match up to the one fight by the clear fighter of the year, which is Terence Crawford, for all the reasons that you, you said. Look, his fight with Errol Spence was the big fight that everyone had been looking forward to for a couple of years it was considered by many maybe most 50 50 fight going in and he absolutely destroyed a man regarded as at worst one of the top five pound for pound in the world to establish himself as an all but unchallenged pound for pound number one it was a sublime performance the kind of performance that we all will be talking about for a long time uh it, it's Established Crawford, who we already thought was going to be a Hall of Famer, it not only established him as a Hall of Famer, it established him as a Hall of Famer with all-time great aspirations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Terence Bud Crawford is Fighter of the Year. I agree with you. So after a ropey start, <laughs> we pulled it back together and yes. had, and we agreed on three in a row, which is what people expect from us. Yes, it's. I mean, do we want to go back and revise any of our earlier ones just to have us aligned <laughs> on all five and and not like throw anybody off heading into heading into the new year? I, uh, no, all right, we'll keep it how it is. A nice mix of uh, trademark Raskin Mulvaney agreement and a little bit of reasonable, measured disagreement. <laughs> exactly. All right. Before we wrap this up, we would both like to take a little time to reflect on the past five years. Um, first of all, I've got to say, mate, they've flown by. Mm. Uh, the whole, I mean, you already referenced the end of HBO boxing and us segueing into this. It still feels so tremendously fresh. I remember <laughs> yeah. you calling me and saying you'd spoken to Steve Farhood and he suggested that we call Brian Daly and see if we could do something there. Goodness me, it's just, it's really has flown. It's amazing to think that five years and 300 episodes have passed since then. I think one of the things I've most enjoyed about this podcast is the enormous freedom that everyone at Showtime has given us from day one. Indeed, the fact that we were actively encouraged to uh, address other fights and boxing news outside of the Showtime universe. Um, Folks like Brian Daly, Stephen Espinosa, Seth Nyman, Matt Ryle, they've been wonderful people to work with. Um, They could not have been more supportive. Want to give thanks to Courtney Mag, Angela Reyes, Flo Joku, Mitch Abramson, Chris de Blasio um, for all the, the help that they gave us, um, as well as all the folks from Showtime who've supported us and come on the podcast. We've all been wonderful, wonderful colleagues and friends. And I do hope we will have the opportunity to work together in 2024 and beyond. And thanks to all the fighters and trainers and managers and promoters and ring announcers, publicists and others who've come on the pod. And I'd like to give an extra special shout out to Mr. Gary Russell Jr., <laughs> who not only has been on the pod more than any other boxer, but has always given us great answers when he's been on. And most of all, there was that one occasion where he was unbelievably courteous and kind. I think our call dropped out four times yeah. altogether. And each time, not only did he pick the phone back up, he picked the interview right back up where we'd left off. Um, that was just a fantastic uh, performance. And I was so grateful to him for that. 
And I also think the other thing I sort of wanted to mention just as a us feeling good about our, ourselves was um was when Jamal Charlo sat down with us in Las Vegas. Oh yeah. And he as he did so, he's telling his people, "Oh yeah, this is the podcast we want to be on." And comp- and complimenting us for the kind of questions that we asked. And I mm. thought, "Yeah, that, that that was good. Maybe he'd mistaken us for somebody else, but I like to think not." And um <laughs> and it meant a lot because I think we've always driven to be respectful of the men and women who literally take yeah. their lives into their hands to entertain us and um that's an approach that we will continue to take in the future Eric. definitely well said um so I'm, I'm looking at my my notes and my bullet points here and uh, I, I i feel like my uh, my closing comments may be a little or a lot longer than yours. Um, so here's what I'll, I'll recommend, Kieran, is please interrupt me periodically. Again, as we discussed Very in well. the last episode, the nasally <laughs> tones, they, they need they need interruption. Break it up here and there as you see fit. But uh, yeah, five years with Showtime feels like a big deal uh, until they start rolling out all the 37 years of Showtime boxing tributes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like quite so much then, but what an honor to have been a teeny tiny part of this. And uh, we had a blast and... We would have done it for free. Um, no, that's not true. We definitely would not have done it for free. But uh, as jobs go, it was a pretty damn fun way yes. to spend some time every week. Uh, I have a whole laundry list of people to thank, starting with you, Karen. Um, I'm not going to get mushy uh, in part because we're going to keep doing this together in 2024. Exactly. But uh, with the amount of time that you and I spend talking, planning, collaborating, etc., I should hate you by now. I should be so freaking yes. sick of you. <laughs> Yes. But I don't I don't fully hate you. I'm only a little bit sick of you. And that is a testament to you for sure. Uh, but fantastic. I mean, nobody else who's known me for that long uh, <laughs> is that tolerant of me. So, yeah, I don't know if it's because we're rarely actually in the same room. Maybe that helps. But whatever whatever the secret sauce is, uh, it's it's working. And uh, seriously, I, I, I thank you first and foremost. Um, next, huge thanks to Brian Daly for for giving us the yeah. shot, sticking with us. And uh, as you said, having the vision since not just day one, but before day one, really, to to tell us, you know, tear up the blueprint for what the HBO pod was. Yep. It shouldn't be all about Showtime boxing, focus on the whole sport, make it a true boxing podcast. So can't thank BD enough. And in turn, Steven Espinoza, I don't know this for sure, but I assume anything BD greenlit with regard to us required sign off from Steven. So uh, thank you for everything, Steven. Um, some quicker ones. Yeah. You, you mentioned most of these people or maybe even all of these people, but Matt Ryle and the whole social team, Courtney, Seth Nyman, our original producer who helped us get off the ground. And, and, and then I want to shout out all the Showtime broadcasters and producers who became regulars on the show. Al, of course, who was the perfect final guest and uh, at the end uh, read that ass kissing script that we gave him expertly. Um, uh, Steve Farhood, Gordon Hall, both of the BCs, Brian Campbell and Brian Custer, Raul Marquez, Barry Tompkins, Morrow, Abner, Jimmy Lennon. Um, and hey, Paulie too. He made several appearances in the early days. Um, and, and the guy who I assume made the most appearances as a guest, Breadman Edwards. He merits a shout Indeed. out for sure. He absolutely um, does. Yeah. And of course, the listeners, um, it's uh, it's nice not to be podcasting into the void. Got to got to thank the listeners. So, yeah, those are all my thank yous. Um, but I've also I found myself doing a bit of memory laning lately. So just just a few th- things passing through my mind. Um, the, the, some of the segments, you know, top five challenge that stuck the fight game that stuck. But uh, does anyone remember make the match? Yeah, that was fun for a while, and it just disappeared, didn't it? I'm not quite yeah. sure why. Yeah, 
it just it didn't quite have the same zing as uh, some of the mm-hmm. other ones. So that one came and went, and and then there was uh, during COVID, uh, there was the weekly "What You Watching" segment. <laughs> kind kind of amazing during COVID, really, that we kept pumping out shows every week when there was no boxing happening for basically months yeah. on end. <laughs> um, so uh, a, a few specific memorable moments from the last five years: um, the Hall of Fame weekend in 2022, of yep. course, um, especially from that uh, the Bud interview. And the Roy interview with with the gifted yep. moment. Um, <laughs> Joe Goosen in Vegas was a treasure. Yeah. Um, and the day before, before Andre Ward telling us, "Hey, you guys are in the dock." That that's yeah. that, that's a great moment. Uh, although only you had a speaking part, which was bullshit. Um, the uh, how about the Tim Bradley interview just after he found out he was going into the hall? That yeah. uh, that one wasn't in person, but that that was another favorite of mine. Less favorite. On our first Vegas trip for Showtime in 2019, the Caleb Plant incident. Memorable, not not in a good way, but um, it's not even that bad. I'm overblowing it, of course, but uh, yeah. I loved it, personally. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't giving you the death stare. Uh, And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, but I'm ready to talk about the one interview we recorded that never aired. Um, Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Quite possibly the low point of doing this podcast. Um, we had an interview with Andy Ruiz and um, it was going fine yep. for a couple of minutes and then Skype crapped out on us and dropped the call. Um, so we called him back, apologized, continued the interview and Skype screwed us again after like 30 seconds. Um, so we we're going to ask him to switch to zoom. We're calling him. He's not answering. Understandably for him to yes. be thinking, fuck those guys. Um, so yep. In the end, we had like two minutes of an Andy Ruiz interview and we had to ditch it. It was awful. I felt sick to my stomach. Um, but yep. it does reflect upon how freaking awesome Mr. Gary Russell Jr. <laughs> is for, for the incident you were talking about. Gotta gotta love that guy. Um, yeah. So uh, one other thing that I, that I have to say is that I, I feel like we really are going out on a high note with the interviews the last couple of months. Um, you know, basically since the end was announced, it was... Steve, it was Raul, then Brian, then Gordon, then Barry, then Steven, and and then Al. And um, I, I just loved having the opportunity to get all of their insights one more time, yeah. one last time in this particular iteration of the podcast. Um, I feel like we like we David Morelled across the finish line, right? Uh, we we could have been excused for finishing up drawing comparisons to Guerrero and Birdo, but I like to think we Morelled the last couple of months. Nice. I, I'm all about using that as a verb going forward. I think that our challenge. For, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Let's, we it, shall just endeavor. Blew, just blew it out. Yeah. 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 We shall endeavor to continue to morel from this point forward. And now, <laughs> now that we've made his ver his name mean a positive verb, he'll probably, you know, get stopped in one round in this next fight and morel will take on a different meaning. But for now we are morelling and proud of it. There's one other interview I do feel compelled to mention and that's Kurt Scooby. Oh yes, I loved, I loved talking to and thank you, Steve Pratt. Somebody mm-hmm. else we should be acknowledging, yeah, who is the one who encouraged us to talk to Kurt. That was one of the most fun interviews we did. What a what a delightful guy he was. Uh, I really did enjoy that one. But uh, yeah, you know, I had some notes to to say some nice things about you, and then I thought we oh, could be doing this again in a few weeks. What's the point? I thought so. I didn't <laughs> say them, but you said nice things about me once again, making me seem like the bad guy. Well, seem like. Come on, you are. Yeah. Oh, You're the you heel. Go. That's it. Let it out. <laughs> <laughs>
that's it. Let's let's all get it out of our system before we do our new podcast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was us fighting right there. That's what it sounds like. That was it. That was right. it. I'm mildly miffed, sir. <laughs> I am pretend peeved at you. <laughs> there you go. And I do want to reiterate uh, what you said. Um, it can sometimes feel like we're just a couple of knuckleheads just chatting to each other and and speaking into the void to use your term. So what I love is not only that we have folks who listen to the podcast, but who interact with us, who write to us, mm-hmm. um, ask us questions, send us tweets or DMs or, or other notes, uh, emails. Uh, special thanks to Owen Lewis. Did we mention, did we mention him? No, yet? no, we, we haven't yet. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good one to end on. Yeah. You want to say a little something about Owen? Yeah. Um, I, I can't, I think we verbalized on air are we were no longer certain about whether we'd done this fight for the fight game or that fight for the fight game or this top five list. Owen, who we both had spoken to independently because of some other work that he was doing, he wanted to interview us. He went through, listened to them all and listed them. He sent us a master list mm-hmm. in an, in a Google doc that he made us editors of, of all the topics that we've covered on the top five segment and on the fight game. Owen, buddy it's been great to get to know you and thank you so much for doing that that is going above and beyond and we really really appreciate that yeah and and uh, we had said we need an intern and so owen uh, and in, in sending us that list said he would like to be the intern so let's let's make it official the uh, our, our unpaid intern uh, is owen and uh, he's so so now he's he's part of the team my only wish is that i wish his name was darren not owen so that because Kramer's uh, intern was named Darren, <laughs> and I want to be able to yell Darren uh, from across the hall. Owen's close, though. Same syllables, ends in the in sound. So good enough. Good enough, Owen. We'll we'll keep you around. You might change it to Darren if we asked him, though. <laughs> he probably he would. Guy. Yes. He's a yeah. Good yeah. <laughs> he seems to like the podcast enough that he would change his name for us. I think that's I think that's a good read. Yeah. And I think probably a special mention for David Cushion as well. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Who, who is just one of our most regular uh, correspondents and uh, a Hall of Fame weekend is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just such a great guy. Thank you so much, David, for being a really good friend of the podcast and of us both. And uh, yeah, look, it's been a hoot. Uh, it's It's been really enjoyable. We have, you know, we joke about the fact that we don't write very much about boxing anymore, but when you look at the, the scripts and notes and whatever else we do for, for each week, it turns out that we actually write an awful lot. It's just doesn't get published as words we just speak them out (laughs) instead uh it's it's yeah it's been a lot uh i've enjoyed it i feel pretty good actually about these last few years there are quite a few episodes where yeah there's certainly a couple of interviews and a couple of segments where i cringe a little bit at some of the things i said but if you say enough words you're gonna say some stupid ones so but there are also plenty that i do feel pretty proud about and i agree with you i i feel like the last few weeks uh especially i'd like to think that we've done right by showtime i think in the same way that they've done right by us over the last five years so um it's stupid that showtime boxing is done yes. uh the people at paramount global are buffoons um <laughs> and i now feel very very easy and comfortable about saying this you're all sure. morons what are you gonna do fire <laughs> us there it is one more time. there you go well uh, done but uh, uh, yeah. I, we all know that the folks from Showtime are going to land elsewhere, and hopefully, uh, a lot of that will become clearer soon. And yeah, 
we'll be around. We'll be podcasting in one venue or another or multiple venues over the next several months. The cringeworthy moments that you're referencing, it's got to be when Rafe Bartholomew called you out on saying you were about to buff up your little half. Oh my goodness. That was not a high point. Well, it was a high point for everyone else. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was a high point for everyone, but you, and that makes it a, a, tr- a, a high point for all. The really. better. All yes. the better. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we have, from now on, you'll buff up your little halfie elsewhere. But, uh, <laughs> is that really the note that we're going to end this on? I think it should be. Probably. Probably. Yeah. yeah, let's go. Then that it's a combination of that and you telling everyone <laughs> all the suits at Paramount that they're buffoons. So <laughs> exactly. Before this gets completely out of control, let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much again to all of you for listening over the last five years and 300 episodes of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. It has genuinely been a joy. But one last time, I would like to say be safe, be kind, be well. Be well.